Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. I'm here with your host, uh, Adam and uh, John. Um, so we are sitting here, you know, talking about our upcoming trip to Idaho and how much this has, I, I don't know, spiraled out of control <laughs> uh, to, to some degree. I mean, so I walked in here and I said, John, you know, how do you feel about this? I can see why people use outfitters and, exactly. and things like that. But I think also th- this was one of the things when, when I envisioned this podcast and the Bow Hunter Chronicles and things like that is, you know, for regular guys to decide that they're going to do something like this, where do you start? How do you, how do you go about it? And I knew that, I guess at some point, whether it was hunting out of state, you know, my brother goes to South Dakota. We've been to Ohio, um, plan on doing some other hunts. Knew that at some point we would be doing some sort of elk hunting. Just and, not this soon. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I had really hoped that I was going to have another year. Right. Uh, well, I had hope, I had planned on going elk hunting this year in Montana, but it would have been a completely different. It wouldn't have been backpack. It would have been with my buddy Eddie that lives out there. So... Yeah, it's definitely took a turn for. Now, it, when you were talking to him and like the way they they hunt out there, you said uh, you'd said earlier, um, you know, it'd be staying at his house and then just kind of jumping off from there. Is everything that close? Or I mean, I guess the way that they hunt, do you inv- would is that the way that they hunt? Is kind of like the way that we deer hunt around here? Um, kind of. I mean, I guess it depends on like if they draw like a a trophy area or something then it might be different uh but a general elk tag is good for the whole state i guess and so now ed he's he's hunted montana he hunted in the past like quite a few years ago and he hunted uh colorado most recent i'm pretty sure but yeah like out there we were gonna you know like when we were out there in august of last year you know, we just took a ride and we ended up, you know, 20 minutes from his house. We're in the Bridger mountain range and, you know, we seen a herd of elk coming down the, the mountain, you know, there's like probably a hundred of them coming down and it was all, they were all coming into private property, but they were coming off public. But yeah, so I'm not sure exactly how we were, you know, we're going to plan. We might've, you know, he's got a camper and stuff. We could have pulled out and camped and then, you know, took day trips or something, but Definitely weren't planning on doing a full-blown uh, backcountry backpack uh, hunt. So it's definitely, I got to get my head wrapped around it. I know you've, you've got experience. Well, I mean, I, mean I, I don't have experience in the sense of, of doing it this way. But, you know, we were talking before the podcast, like, I have this survivalist or, like, bushcraft mentality. Um, so my brothers and I have been going out for the last couple of years and doing, like, day trips or I mean my parents have a little bit of property and we'd go back there like specifically in the winter time and set up a tarp and build friction fires and you know um, just with the things that we had in our pack do say okay we're going to do a one tool fire so you you 
my brother, he chose a knife and I chose a hatchet. So I had a, a hatchet and then you just grab whatever dry wood that you can find and you've got your ferrule rod or whatever. But I only had a hatchet to work with, so I had to make all of my kindling and all that. So as far as like looking at this from that perspective or like a bushcraft perspective, I look at it as, you know, it's just, it's just that with hunting. With the hunt. That and you also have a military background where you... you yeah. Know. Yeah. So we were talking about where we were going to spend our money, I guess. I mean, and that's one of the things is I, I listened to the podcast, um, uh, the Kfaro cast, because I mean, they make gear specifically for backcountry hunting, elk hunting and all that. Aaron Snyder's really big into that. And they make really, really high end, um, equipment. And so, you know, what better place to get your information from? And so I was listening to that and Aaron Snyder has military background and he's saying, well, you know, a tarp is just fine. You're going to be just fine if you're going to be in big snow or, you know, all this stuff. But, uh, the podcast that I was listening to was strictly on, um, floorless shelters. And my thoughts going into this is that I'm just going to bring a tarp. Like I, I put up on Instagram a couple of different, I bought two different tarps to see which one, um, is going to be, is going to work out the best for me. I have, I've slept in a Gore-Tex bivy sack in the, the, the sleep system, um, in the military in snow, just in the bivy sack and the sleeping bags. And I've slept in it, um, just in the rain and monsoons and all of that. I mean, we were issued tents and left them, um, specifically because we didn't want to have to carry the extra gear, um, risk of somebody losing something or, um, then when we got back having to clean it and dry it out and do all of that. So like for me, as soon as I got done, I went and bought that system because to me it was something that it was like a, it's like a comfort item. Like I know that it works and I know that just about in any situation, I'm not going to. Right. you got to experience with that. Yeah. And it's a little bit heavier. And so do in this, doing some reading, um, you know, there are people that, that knock it because I think it's either two pounds or right around two pounds. And they say, well, you can buy a full on a tent or a bivy with, uh, with rails and you know, something, something bigger than that. And for me, realistically, and, and it's funny, you know, we were, we were talking about, it, I didn't really think about it in that context, but the reason that I don't want to just go with a one man tent or even like a two man tent and put my gear in it is I don't really foresee myself using it again. I mean, the camping that we do as a family is in campers or, right. you know, we have a big tent and I've got a wife and a daughter and two dogs. And so this little one man tent is going to be used strictly for this. And then John and I were talking, there's a really nice, uh, mountain Smith, um, LT two pound with, um, with the guy lines and the, um, tent stakes and the, the bag, um, it's really nice and it's a floorless shelter and mountain Smith is a really good company and they're kind of partnered or they have something to do with Kafaru, um, as far as like the way that they, they work together with their materials and things like that. And I was telling John, you know, that would be a perfect setup if you wanted to do a one man setup and put a stove jack in it and bring a stove for colder weather or like something like that. But if you're going to do that, you're going to be with other guys. So you're one guy in a two man shelter with a stove. <laughs> I mean, you're either like some sort of like crazy badass that just goes out into the middle of the mountains in the winter time way out so far, such conditions that you need a stove or it would probably be beneficial to either spend the money, buy something bigger right. with, you know, two like, or three, four guys. Like, Hey, Get out. It's my turn to get in the tent and warm up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to dry my stuff up. Right. You know? So, I, I mean, and that's, that's my mentality, um, you know, going into this is that with a tarp, it's so versatile. You can bring it with you. You can set it up for, if it's not, if it's temperate conditions, you can just sleep under the tarp or you can pitch it 
just like a tent or a floorless shelter. And uh, like the ones I set up on, on Instagram, one of them ha- had an open door, um, but it was, I mean, it's a 10 foot tarp and it was, um, I think the o- the overall length is like nine foot in some change and it's almost 10 feet wide. Um, it's 10 feet wide in the back. So, I mean, there's plenty of room and I was thinking, you know, in a worst case scenario is that you could put the rain cover on your pack, put it up against the door and that would keep out 99% of whatever weather. And you'd obviously pitch it so that the wind wasn't coming in the door. Right. So, and the other one is a fully enclosed shelter that has a 10 foot, it's, it's a 10 foot equilateral triangle pyramid. It, it's fully enclosed. It's just a three-sided instead of a four-sided shelter. It's got a door, and it was like somewhere around 50 inches in the center, um, floor to ceiling. So, I mean, there's plenty of room in that one as well. So I can use a tarp at the beach or when I'm camping in the rain, you know, around home, whereas this one-person little shelter, and I already have the the military you know, that I use in the Marines. So it's like, it's a no brainer. And again, we're we're right, right before we started um, recording here, we were talking about boots. And so you can spend as much money as you want on a tent or whatever, but um, boots are basically going to be the thing that makes or breaks this type of hunt. And boots are going to be expensive. That's going to be, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to take one spot where you, you're going to put your money at, for me, it's going to be, the boots are going to be the most expensive thing. That's what I've been, you know, contemplating, looking at, you know, that, and we got to get them now because there's no way. I mean, I heard them saying, I can't remember if it was on Kafaru or where I heard it, but they're like, or maybe it was on Meat Eater. A good pair of boots are going to have to be broken. No, you know, they're either lying or they're, they're not worth a crap if you're not breaking them in. So, well, and that's, and that's another one of the, the things is it would have been something that I never would have guessed going into this, but I mean, we're sitting here, you know, halfway through March talking about what we're going to do the first week of September. And I'm already in the gym, you know, doing, I hate legs and I, I, I just don't do I just don't do legs. Um, every time I do, it makes me want to throw up and not just the thought of it, but actually like physically, it makes me physically ill. And, um, so I've been doing squats and lunges and then the stair stepper, um, every, every time I go to the gym and the people at work are saying, well, when is, when is this trip you're going on? Like September. Well, why are you working out now? And it's like, you have to. And so I would rather spend the money right now in a pair of boots and even have them fail in July. Right. Then get out there, get out like, there. Oh man, these are and, terrible. And then just realize that they're not, that they're not what they are all cracked up to be. Right. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest thing right now is just finding a pair of boots and, and start, you know, we have, we do have the luxury of having really good trails, hiking trails in our, state park in the dunes so there's pretty good elevation and pretty good you know steep trails and stuff so i definitely plan on going out there yeah we've got some pretty good sand dunes where we've got the i mean i'm i'm planning for the total archery challenge to have you know probably 20 pounds of weight in my backpack um just just while we're doing that um but even the spot where I had scouted, you know, which isn't five miles from here, um, is a, a offshoot of the Muskegon River. It's a creek bottom. And I was really surprised just at how hilly it was over there. And it's not really elevation, but it's like rolling hills. I mean, and right. and so that'll be good to go over there and just, just get the boots broken and make, make sure with a pack on my back, it's right. Do some side hilling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I say, for, for me, I come over here and I say, you know, John, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And he's like, 
you know, this isn't this is kind of what I was I was <laughs> thinking. And I, like I said at the beginning, I think you know that's one of the things where uh, of anything where we are not experts on anything, but if we can be anything, it is a resource. And so for me, I why do I listen to podcasts for things just like this is because like, what, what are the things that I never would have thought of, um, when, when planning this? And so, whereas I have something in my head of like, Oh, this is how you, this is how this trip's going to go. It's probably way different than, you know, you know, when we are, we are putting this whole thing together. And, uh, I must say, I've got to, I've got to remind John right now that, uh, I had said 2019. Right. It's like, well, 2018, you know, we can do it. So it's kind so, of. Yeah, it definitely would have. I mean, if we had a year, you know, a year and a half to get everything worked out, I think it would be a little better. But I don't know. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, we'll, f- we'll figure it out. I'm I'm beyond excited because, like, just from the fact that I have all of the thi- the things and, like, you know, after we got done with that podcast with Mark, we were talking about um, all the things like, well, what happens in this scenario or what happens in this scenario? And I'm like, man, that's kind of like my dream is like, I have like all of this. <laughs> you like, want to be stranded <laughs> out there. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily, I definitely don't want to be hurt. Well, he wants me to break my leg or something. So then he has to take care of me. And then, he, Yeah, I don't no. want to be hurt. But, it, you know, to be out there and have a, a storm come in or something. I, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's that, um, I don't know, like that hero fantasy or like whatever, <laughs> like where you think like, you, you know, everybody thinks that they can do it, you know, right. but you don't know until you're, you're actually tested. And, and I'm sure that there's people that are, have been in those situations where like, you know, you are an idiot. Like, you don't have <laughs> any, any sort of idea, you know, cause everybody thinks that they know what they're doing until they're put in that situation. But, I just feel like, like, like for me, just going out and, and doing this is going to be a, a test of a lot of the things that, you know, I've, I've learned, but never really got to put into, into use. And like I say, with this, um, the thing that's the most daunting, I guess, is the extra weight aspect, you know? when you go out for a day or something like that, weight is never a factor. Um, even when we were, um, traveling so far on the bikes and hiking in when we are in Ohio and the, the elevation change there, you know, people who elk hunt are laughing at that elevation change. Elevation. That's a foothill, but that's not even a foothill, but realistically, did you ever think, well, I need to save some weight here or? No. No, no. it just doesn't even enter your. Well, even now, even, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but think I'm like, man, where am I going to put my two pound keg of peanut butter, you know? Cause <laughs> like, right. And you're talking about shaving ounces, like, well, shit. Well, I know. So I well, got, I got here just, um, the, the Cameron Haynes book and it's, it's funny because Garrett had. You know, he had said that they had all read up all on all that before they went out there the first time, thinking they were going to go back further than everybody. And, um, you know, that wasn't the case because of outfitters and things like that. But, like, in that book, and um, I'm, I'm also looking into a lot of, like, the ultralight um, hikers, like, for the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Coast Trail, like, the, the because those guys know, A, gear that works, and B, like, what weight is actually like doable, but like in both of those things, they, they're talking about like in this book, Cameron's like, well, you know, I cut the handle off my toothbrush. So it's just like this little thing. And I'm just like, it doesn't weigh that much. But then I was watching a YouTube video with one of the guys from, um, what was that? Uh, is it like go hunt that you were talking about where it's talking about like finding trophy areas and, things like that. I think it's go hunt. Um, but it was, it Oh was, yeah. The, the actual, the, it's like a website that you yeah. can go on. Was, yeah. I can't remember. Go hunt.com or something like that. Yeah. Well, it was one of those guys that was saying like what was in his bag for, um, stepping off and, 
there was there wasn't very much extemporous gear like it was like all like it was all stuff like i was like oh yeah 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 i could use that and it was a 10-day hunt and i think it was i think it was i think they had a better idea of like they were going to this place and they were going to kind of like spike in but um his pack he said was like 60 some pounds when he stepped off and everyone that i've talked to has said shoot for 30 to 40 pounds is, is realistic I, I thought about your your food thing because even John had mentioned it. And I don't know if it was at the Bowman's Club or it was a, maybe last week sometime, but he was like, I'm just thinking, like, where am I going to put my food? Like, <laughs> I just I eat all the time. So what about food? What am I going to do with food? But the, he had a, a dry bag and he had all of his meals for each day, and it was 15 pounds of food. For 10 days, which, I mean, is probably realistic, but 15 pounds of food, and we're talking about ounces. Right. Now my dog's barking. Well, that's all part of the the experience. Let here. me go uh, deal with that real quick. Yeah, so, you know, for me, with the uh, this whole thing is is simply a... I don't know, everything coming to fruition. Like it, it, it's melding my passion for the outdoors and, um, I don't know, survivalist type, type things, um, with, with hunting. And that's one of the harder things is, um, the hunting on top of it is extra gear, extra weight, extra everything. And it's something that I, I wouldn't have thought of just from a sheer um, backpacking or bushcraft thing. It's like I never really thought about weight because I wanted gear that I knew would work, gear that I didn't have to worry about it failing. So now to couple that with, well, maybe we want something that's a little bit lighter and isn't going to fail, and then add in all of the the hunting gear and things that you don't necessarily think of when you're whitetail hunting is like a kill kit, game bags, your uh where you're gonna get all your water, um you know, things things like that and then having the plan in place for okay, so you're forty pounds going in, now you're successful. Okay. Now you're how many trips is it going to be out? How are you gonna do that logistically? Once you get it out, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to have coolers? Are you going to have to, you know, I don't even, that's the thing. We're not even sure, you know, what facilities will be available, I mean, mm -hmm. to us when we get out. Because, like, you watch, uh, I think on the Born and Race, those guys, they end up finding a, a place where they freeze, you know, a walk-in freezer or something. Because they, yep. they originally had, like, a cooler with the generator or the freezer, and it the meat wouldn't freeze. They just didn't have enough time for the one kill. Yeah. But, I mean, I have a big generator, and we might pull a trailer but and get a, the big freezer like we brought to Ohio. Ohio. But then you got to, if, if we kill one, and if one of us kills one early, then we're going to have, you know. Right. Hike back and forth and make sure the generator's running or, or what. You know, that's just, those are the little details that we got to. Yeah, and I, the, the, the guy that's um, maybe a lot of the reason that we're going out there and going to the unit that we are, um, he's got a place and he said he's got a freezer. But it, it, even one more thing is like, man, I feel like we're going to be going back and forth about who's the shooter, da 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 Well, even if you shoot one early or you shoot one late, now it's like the real work begins. And so for, for both of us, it's going to be, well, you, know, you can – read about it you can look at it you can think of how the whole thing's going to go but until you got 150 pounds of meat on your back and <laughs> depending on how far you're going it's like that's a whole nother deal and then what's the hunting like after that is right. it like oh jesus we're smoked or we're excited let's do it again I no idea well i think we'll be excited no well <laughs> yeah but i think I mean, but it definitely it's going to take its toll i mean if we're not that's that's the whole point of 
you know, get in shape right now is got to take this serious. And, you know, I have a horrible back, but I've been doing, I can't jog. You know, I tried it and it just, it does not go well for me. But the elliptical works good. So I just been cranking that up 30 degrees or whatever and then cranking it up on high and doing the interval stuff, just trying to build my legs up and my back strength. I don't know what it is with my body that just, I mean, even when I was in the military, like it would, when I did legs, I like just quit doing legs because I would like physic get physically ill. Oh, I, but like, I've always, I mean, same thing. I, I've, I mean, I think everybody, well, for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of people hate legs, you know, because they're such a big muscle group. I mean, when you burn them out and you actually, you do. You get physically sick sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I guess I always just assume that people didn't like it because the next two days are miserable and you're <laughs> crawling around in your elbows. But, um, I mean, like yesterday, I did I did my workout and I ran three miles. And, like, my heart rate at the end of three miles was, like, 150, something like that. And I was, like, maybe 178. I think, I think it was 178 when I got done. And uh, I ran it in, like, 24 minutes or something so not super fast but not not slow um and then i went and did 15 minutes on the stair stepper and my heart that was when my heart rate was 158 and it felt like it was like pounding out of my throat i mean and i can run like running for me is like therapeutic like it's like so that i don't notice my heart rate i i make sure like i'm changing my breathing so that it's um like i try and mitigate like my heart rate. I try and keep calm and, and I've done a lot of running. I get on that stair stepper and like my heart isn't going nearly as hard. I mean, I would think like it would, that would be the thing that would be the indicator that I'm working harder, but it, it's like, it's just like pounding out of my throat and it's like less beats per minute. And I'm just like slowly going up and up, you know, more time, more time. But I think realistically it doesn't really matter because I got to get out and get the pack on my back and right. just go now, do some walking. When you did your three miles, were you in on like a treadmill at the yeah. gym? Okay. Because yeah. I noticed like when I, you know, before in the past, like if I go for a walk or something or try to jog, I'd try to do it on the treadmill. And which was actually better because you got like the, one, the ones at the gym I used to go to had that spring bottom or, you know, cushion so that I could do that a little bit. But it was just so freaking tedious sitting there on a on a treadmill and I'd go out, do it outside. You're outside and it's just the scenery and everything kind of, I don't know, kind of loses the significance of, of the freaking training part of it. I don't know, it's just like, well, I'm just out on a walk or a little jog or, you know, it's not nearly as bad, but. Or like I used to run when before my back was so bad. I used to go out in those trails. I was talking about the state park. Well, that's like we have a luge out there, and it's there's dunes and stuff too. But there's a lot of little trails, and it's it's pretty you know pretty good terrain. And I'd go out. I loved going out there and run. You'd see deer. You'd see you know all kinds of stuff. But that was you know that was cool doing that. I enjoyed it actually running through there, but treadmill that's a whole nother ball game yeah it's all like a it's all a mental thing i just throw on a podcast for well now 15 20 minutes and then then when it's time to like really kick it up then i just put on music and just you know go six minute miles or something for a mile and a half well i'm I'm not i'm not doing any of that so but i do i got the uh i just turn on the youtube on my TV, and I watch like uh, deer meat for dinner. Love that dude's YouTube channel. So that that's one of the things we were talking about with the with the coolers. Did you say he's like involved with the? He's sponsored by Engel Coolers. Okay, and he's uh, good buddies, I think, with the owner of Engel uh, America, North America, or whatever. It's okay. actually a pretty. It's kind of a neat uh, story. I've never really, you know, heard of him. I think I've seen they had like the Baitwell coolers and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but until I started watching the deer meat for dinner, I mean, they were actually 
the ones who first come out with the rotomold coolers in like 08 or 07 and uh and then shortly after that yeti come out with them i'm just hey i'm not you know <laughs> i'm not making any accusations here or anything but but no so they're those coolers look look great so i think yeah i think we're looking into those just because you had seen them on that yeah i think because i mean that's one of the things is again is whitetail hunter it's not a big animal you can you can manage i mean even like i know we've shot deer at our cabin in the up and it's been you know 70 80 degrees and you just run up and get a couple bags of ice and put them in the shade and it's right not a big deal or you can quarter them up whole and put them in your little 40 quart igloo or something right but you know for a week or 10 days and <laughs> yeah yeah that's not gonna be good especially on a big animal like an elk so i think uh, where are you at like right now as far as like your your planning where, what do you think because like, that's where we started off with this and this is just coming like circling back around to it it's like this is the this is the elephant it, it is really <laughs> like a bite at a time well uh, i have to admit that i'm just i'm at the very very beginning still my uh, the boots are my biggest thing that i've been you know trying to i need to get those get those on get them you know or find the find out what pair are going to be the ones i want and then get them and then to start getting them broke in and then i got i do have to start i just been working on projects around here trying to get stuff done so i can go on this trip but but i do need to start oh checking off the list because this i mean being a bow hunting podcast i feel like that's the one thing that is like for me really simple and everyone that i've talked to and everything that i've read says if you can kill a whitetail with it you can you can kill an elk um you know it's a little bit different i put something out there on facebook and instagram asking about you know the fixed blade heads because idaho has their own fixed blade um their rules right so that's one thing i haven't shot fixed blades and quite a few years so i don't i mean i could throw on a 125 grain thunderhead and i'd be super confident with it i think i still got some of those (laughs) i mean but there's probably better heads out there right and um, i've looked into a whole bunch of them and uh, everything that i've looked into or where, where my head was at um is kind of right i mean i refer to guys that have done this a lot and you know so cameron haynes shoots the muzzy trocar um right and i shot the muzzy trocars last year i just went back to the mechanical heads this year and you know dudley he says for a fixed blade the trocars um but after seeing that don't mean to interrupt but after seeing that uh little instagram video that um adam greentree did with the the vaps yeah so Explain that for people that haven't seen it. I mean, oh. it's, it's 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 really impressive. He's shooting. I think he's shooting his. I think he shoots a uh, the white carbon RX one ultra, and he's shooting Eastern Axis arrows with the VAP one fifty head, and he shoots. It's like a metal fuel can, or I think it's like a one of the pressure. Ta- it looks like a pressure tank for like a pump. Yes, and. He shoots this thing with the the head, and he's like, well, I've already shot it once. And the arrow, boom, hits it, bounces back. He walks over, picks it up, and uh, it's still good. And he walks up and looks at the, and it puts a hole right through that metal tank. You know, you can see the the blade mark right in it. Where it penetrated and before it bounced out. And he's like, yeah. And he bends the arrow. He's like, I'll shoot it again. (laughs) That's a, a little bit crazy for me, but. I mean, yeah, if you if you guys haven't seen it, or, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you know who Adam Greentree is. Check it out on his Instagram and see how he shoots that, that metal can with Yeah, that. that's that's pretty impressive. And the um, broad head was, looked perfectly straight yet. <laughs> yeah, so the one of the heads that, so I'd put up there the Montex, um, the Trocar, and 
the VPAs just because of that. And there's a VAP. Uh, yeah, VAP. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they, those were the ones. And I said, you know, anybody chime in. And there was a lot of different answers. Um, the Deer Hunter podcast guys um, put up the Tooth of the Arrow broadheads, which I don't have any experience with them. And they're American made company and uh, great thought process in that it's a machined head. So it's machined from one solid piece of versus being like the Montex are cast. cast. So that's, you know, something to take into consideration for, you know, being durable. And oh yeah. Definitely the strength in a cast or a solid piece to, compared to a cast. Yep. And they're nothing. one of the things that until really looking into this, I never really took much I didn't ever think of it. I just looking at the tooth of the arrow ones, they look odd um, to me. And the same with another fixed blade that I'll get to in just a second, but they're really short. So it's short and, and they're wide. And so it changes like cutting angle, cutting diameter. And I don't know, like, I guess probably density um, as far as, as far as that, but the same would be said for, the other one that people had, um, there was multiple people that had said slick tricks, um, and slick tricks are a four blade, which I don't. You can probably weigh in on this more than more than me, but I just always think of the old time four blade with the the planing, which everybody was all worried about uh, planing. But listening to a podcast with John Dudley and Bill Pellegrino. Strictly on broadheads, that was Bill Pellegrino's number one, and John Dudley's number two was the slick tricks. But they also have like a really short profile, and they're like wider or right. have, a, have a different thing, and they're a full steel ferrule. Right, and that's one of the things I'm I'm no I'm not even close to being an expert on that, but just from what I've read and and heard, like Dudley and the other podcasts talk about, the shorter ferrule is is a better flying. When it gets longer, I guess as more, it's more susceptible to planing and you know, or tuning even because then you you have more wa- you could have more wobble and all that. But but yeah, the shorter ferrules with the little bit wider blades. Yeah, so I mean, tooth of the arrow are like a you know a machined one piece that have a similar profile to the slick tricks, and I don't know if it's just like the whole thing where you look at a broadhead and you think this is what a broadhead is supposed to look like or like what in your mind, I, you know, I don't know. Cause you can't in today's day and age, like you can't just go and buy them all and try them all. Cause they're all 40 bucks for three of them. So, I mean, you'd have, you know, even if I said, okay, well I want to try the Montex, uh, the VAPs and the, that's the- where, like guys like John Dudley come in because he's gone and done that. You know, like last year, I think he said AATA or the year before, he just went around and bought Martin. with his own money, just went out, bought all these broadheads, and he just put them to the test just to see, you know, see which ones are working, which ones are doing what they're saying or which ones are flying good, you know. And so I guess if you trust what he says, you know, or what – but isn't it the same thing as like what we had talked about earlier and like what's, I mean, I'm looking at the bow there on the, on the, on the wall is like, they can say that. And I guess that was one of the things where they were talking about the Ram, Bill Pellegrino was talking about the Ram cats and he said he basically chewed the guy up one side and down the other at ATA um, because he said, you know, how do, how do they fly? And he says he hates it when everybody says they fly just like a field point. Right. And he says, well, how do you know that? And he says, well, I shoot them. And he's like, well, who are you? And how, how you know, how big are your groups? You know, can you hit a dime at 50 yards or, or what? But doesn't it all end up being like how they shoot with your setup, how tunable they are? I mean. Well, yeah. Yes. It, I mean. And we talked about this before. I mean, it all comes down to how how well you shoot. So, I mean, but if you're going to go with, like, Dudley, who's a pro archer, 
shot field archery, 3D, uh, indoor. And now, I mean, if you watch any of his videos, he's shooting. There's some where they don't even tell the, the yardage. He's like, yeah, it was a long shot. He's got one on there where he shoots a turkey at 105 yards. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> You know, but so I guess you just have to use your own judgment. But if those guys are out there doing the testing and, and, and some of them, you can YouTube it too, and they'll they'll put them through a hooter shooter. Well, but that's what he was saying. Like a hooter shooter doesn't take into account right. any of the torque and any of that stuff. So that's the other thing too. So if you if Dudley's out there shooting and he's shooting five different broadheads and he's shooting at his eighty or hundred yard target, and you know he's telling, okay, well this is my group. I got a three inch group with these. I got a five inch group with those. I'm just being, you know, yeah, but I mean, he could shoot my bow better than I can. You know what exactly. I mean? So it's like that's a it's a hard that's a hard thing. So it, it also has all I mean to do with how your your bow is set up, your arrow builds, you know, your the, front of center, and like they talk with the you can get away with a heavy front of center FOC with a mechanical head because it's not steering, you know, so it's not going to plane like. uh you can get it. It's like a fine line where you can get into if you have a heavy FOC and you're shooting a fixed blade. Now that's going to steer it more, so you can get. Well, and that's so. On the way here, I was listening to another podcast, and it was Aaron Snyder talking about how he sets up bows, and it was it was supposed to be about broadheads, but it was it. I didn't guess. I didn't really get into broadheads. He was talking about the tune. And like where he goes from from zero to actually shooting arrows, and then when he's um, shooting broadheads. Um, but what he was talking about is where people make mistakes, and I mean, I think I am probably I would never have thought of it if I hadn't heard this. Um, was he says, okay, so you shoot twenty eight inch draw length, seventy pound bow, and you buy. 350 spined arrows and he's like you're probably a little bit underspined or but you're right in that that range and i didn't i bought 300 spined arrows but it, just to go along with that he's like and then you put a 50 you For, know 50 grain brass insert right up front and then maybe you want to shoot 125 grain well so now you're underspined so he's like you you would need a 300 spine arrow and so like that's exactly what i did is i bought a 300 spine arrow and the 42 grain inserts but then in my mind i'm thinking well these are huge animals do i want to shoot 125 grain arrow or a broadhead and then i'm thinking well do i need to should i have spined up one more time or is 100 grains going to be fine with the you know right i mean the arrows nowadays are you know it's pretty close you can almost you can be right on that edge, but yeah, when you start building it up like that, you definitely your stiffer is better. Well, and then now, I mean, again, I didn't take into consideration. Well, now uh, these arrows are going to be built for a fixed blade, so there is going to be steering up front. Right. So it, it's it's one more. Right. Yeah. So you don't like I I just the arrows I'm going out there with are the Eastern Axis, and I. I'm going to shoot the two sixties, which is the stiffest they have. Of course, I'm, you know, 72 or 70 pounds. Full you know, length arrow. Full length arrow, almost full length. I cut them down to 30 with the, you know, with my draw or the overdraw or whatever you want to call it, the way my rest sets up. But, uh, and I'm sure I'll be probably close to 72. Maybe I'm going to get as much poundage out of it as I can. And that's with this bow. <laughs> that's what's the we'll see <laughs> but uh so i'm gonna go i was you know like the arrows i'm shooting right now with this bow i shot this year with the eastern axis the 300s and i had the 75 grain brass with a 100 grain head well we're talking about if we go to the, the vaps 150 grain i probably will just stick with I'll probably break them down to the 50 grain. And so it'll still be, especially with that stiffer shaft, it's a 260. So, and that's going to, it's a pretty heavy shaft also. It's not as heavy as like full metal jacket. So, 
one of the things, just because you're talking about those VIPs, um, if you're as nerdy as we are, like you definitely need to listen to um, John Dudley Knock On Podcast. is like three or four podcasts ago for right now, but it's him and it says Talking Broadheads with Bill or something like that. But they both encountered a situation um, with the a two blade um, that I never would have thought of before. And I would have to imagine that most of these um, single bevel broadheads have, have fixed that um, at this point um, because they talked about the different angle bevels and how if they're too much, because they said that they had talked to surgeons and talked about why there's certain bevels on certain scalpels so that the micro capillaries or whatever that when they're cut they lay back together and and meet up if it's a really extreme uh bevel then it just is like a ton of damage so they don't fall back together you know there's too much trauma um and they also said that and i read this in some of the medical books as well is like when a surgeon like if you uh if you are choking right now, I had to give you a, you know, tracheotomy or something. If I cut this way, it's going across all of your blood vessels. But if I cut vertically rather than horizontally, there's going to be less blood. So you're going to be able to see because you're going along. You're you're going, with the, basically with the grain. Yeah. And so what they are saying is like both of them had had instances where they had blew through deer or elk or or whatever one was deer one was elk and there was no blood trail like they like the one uh bill said he had seen the elk go down and he knew right where it was he was so excited about this you know so they're like well let's go track it and they there was zero blood and so they got up to it yeah it sliced through right along with the muscle fibers and that's what they're saying is like if you cut you know perpendicular to the muscle fibers it's like rubber band snapping but if you cut with them you might only cut one or two and you're gonna just kind of go right in between them and that's what the he said the guy that was with him said well i thought you said you shot him on the left side and then he reached down there and pulled it open and then there there, there was a hole but there was no blood there was no no anything so i think that that's and i I mean, I, when I think of two blades, I think of like Ted Nugent Zwickies with the bleeder because that's say, the old bleeder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, I never really understood that or anything, but now it makes sense. completely makes sense. And so when I see these, you know, the VAPs or um, the bone broadheads or you know any of those, you know, two blade big monster and i also for whatever reason maybe it's because they're heavier um i always think of them as traditional right they do look they they look a lot like the old traditionals some of them yeah and i think a lot of the traditional guys shoot them because most of them are made you know some of them are made up to 200 grains and they're shooting you know smaller kinetic energy so they are you know you know smaller poundage you know smaller feet per second so they want to get that kinetic energy up but and that was something that I would have never have thought of ever. Um, so in trying to figure that out, <laughs> of, of all the things that you have to think about in terms of like, oh, do I need bear spray? Oh, what kind of gun do I need to have? Like, am I going to stay alive? Is it going to be too cold? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. what I'll do is what I plan on doing. I mean, I, I have a full set of uh, the trail cars, maybe get a set of the, I don't know. They used to. I don't. Do they even make the shuttle T's anymore? I I don't know. They in in talking about them, they both had mentioned them, but I don't. I think I'm not if, sure. That if they, they if they still do, there's something not so good about them, like the manufacturing or something. Mm-hmm. They, but I'll get us. I'll probably end up getting a few sets of broadheads, and and then I'll build a few different arrows. The only bad thing about the axis is the insert the hidden insert so once you glue them in they some guys say you can knock them you can knock out you probably can knock out the aluminum ones the just the standard ones but i did i had set one up 
with the brass and I had the full brass. So it was a 75 grain and it ended up, I tipped it up and it dropped down a little bit. And so my, it wouldn't let the, Oh, I saw that with the, uh, do you have like a turkey head on that one or something last year? And it was like stuck way out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to do, if you take a drill bit, the same, you know, a little bit smaller than the inside diameter of the arrow, and you can take it and you kind of put it in the knock end and swing it, and it'll knock it, it'll break it loose. Well, I did that till the end of the arrow was all swelled up. It wouldn't, that brass just ended up mushrooming the brass inside it. And so, yeah, that was, it was still a shootable arrow, but it was now, it's my uh, small game arrow and <laughs> plunker. Yeah, so that's the bad thing. Like, if you build them with the seventy fives, and you, there's no taking them out really. Now, I had heard that there is a system where you get like this giant ass Allen wrench, and you can put, you can add it on from the back, so you can put as much. Well, yeah, that they have that. They've had that for a while. I mean, uh, pretty sure Gold Tips had it, but like for their target arrows and stuff, you can add. It's a add a weight system. Mm-hmm. And Easton has it too, but I don't know if you can have do it for the micro diameter. Or yeah, or for the HIT, it's such a small diameter. So, but like with like your arrows, we could easily, you know, heat that up, pull those inserts out. Mm-hmm. But there's just the glue used on those hidden ones that epoxy sets up, and I haven't had any luck getting them out without wrecking an arrow. So, but we will do some testing when I got those arrows set up. Yeah, I mean, uh, just with with what all of the response was, the um, I want to look at the slick tricks. Um, I know the truck. I, I know the truck cars are going to be good. Um, did you see? I was just reading up on them that they changed the blade, so now you can change the cutting diameter on them. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, there was. There's like three different like. Yeah, notches where you can yeah. put the the blade in. Yeah. It just seems like, I don't know, over-engineering or like, you know, <laughs> oh. somebody had a better idea. Yeah, There's some of my old muzzies in there, but. Yeah, I, and I'm sure that any of them would be fine, and we're just going on a camping trip with bows anyway, so it's not, <laughs> not going to really what, matter. What do they call it? <laughs> uh, bow hiking? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all right, well, yeah, that kind of transitioned into uh <laughs> So this this month we got the Bowhunter Box Club box here, and uh, for the people watching, I thought we would go through that. So this month's box was um, basically it is pretty much set up for for turkey. Um, it, it it appears uh, the so it's a it's a forty dollar a month box, and this month was it was sixty seven dollars worth of value. And the big item in there is broadheads. So there's the Dead Ringer Super Freak Extreme Broadheads. And they're valued at $45. And I actually looked online last night to see like what they actually what the actual cost is. And I think they're like $40 on Amazon. So I mean that's that's the cost of the box right there. Definitely and, look like a good turkey head. Yeah, and I, I put up a video on YouTube yesterday, did an unboxing, and uh <laughs> Despite I didn't even have a beer or anything, and I said March 2017 twice, both <laughs> when I started, and, and with the unboxing you only get really one shot. So, um, but yeah, they. I think I'm gonna shoot these at turkeys. I'm definitely gonna um, shoot one first. So, John, tell me um, these. I'm, we got a video here going too, um, but these broadheads are huge as far as like overall length, and it's two two and three quarter inch cut and yeah it's a monster but so you shot a couple of different giant turkey broadheads last year so when i shoot when we shoot these to to target practice them how how do you recommend doing that without well that you're pretty much going to destroy one oh yeah yeah, I but, mean, but you you had a problem you were shooting gobbler well, guillotines and then no, something else no i had the uh I had a couple different ones, but this one here is actually the Tom Bomb. What is that one called? It's not the guillotine or guillotine or whatever, but 
I was having problems because my bow, I was shooting my, that bow, 70 pounds, you know, and I was shooting a full 32-inch arrow, and they didn't have any 260s in stock where I went, so I built one out of a 300, and I, I thought it was going to be too... Underspined. Underspined. And the guy's, oh, no, it'll be fine. I shoot him. Like, well, I shot it, and for one, I built, I took my... I took an old pillow and I took a, a sweatshirt and I hung that from a tree so it had give and everything else. And I still, the first one I shot, you can see right there, the, the broadhead, it bent the blades and they were guaranteed not to bend them. But, and then so I started, I did get them to shoot quite well out of my son's bow at 50 pounds with that same arrow. But out of my bow, I just, after I shot it, like the first shot, it was pretty close, but it wasn't. I wasn't confident enough to, you know, be sighted in for it. And then once I, you know, ended up replaced the blades, and because they did come with one set of replacement blades, <clears throat> shot it again. Bam! It ended up breaking those. So, needless to say, I didn't end up yeah. even trying. What were the shoot. ones that you did use? I just ended up putting my. Uh, well, what was that giant? Oh, this this thing actually is a crossbow. <laughs> it's about, let me grab my tape measure here. Thing's like three inches long. It's got a four-inch cutting radius. <laughs> but it would have worked for a turkey. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. So these these, that's why I wanted to know if there's anything that you need to do when you're yeah, sliding these. The in. ferrule on this one's three inches, and the cutting diameter is four inches. Yeah, and the ferrule on these is three inches. Yeah, no. Well, I measure it yeah, from, from the, there, so it's two and a half. Right. So, so yeah, these will definitely work for a turkey. They do not say specifically turkey on them, but I, I mean, I don't shoot shooting that at a deer. I, I couldn't do it. Well. The problem, the thing is with these, it, it reminds me kind of like the old uh, split fires I used to shoot, and but they didn't have nearly as much cutting diameter as those. They were a three blade, but that it's a jackknife style, so it opens. You know, the blades fold back as it hits, and there's a rubber band that holds them closed, kind of like the I think it's the tracker a little or bit blood blood sport maybe. blood sport, but but yeah. I would be a little leery. I don't think I would. I definitely wouldn't use those for hunting deer, but for a turkey, oh yeah. Yeah, and I have to imagine that that's why they're uh, they're in there um, because there is a uh, a set of HS Strut Strut Tone Trough Starter Pack, and um, this is there the easiest to use, and they've got the little um, plastic. I don't know what do you call that. No, the thing that goes on the roof oh. of your mouth, like it's like a, it, it it's like training wheels for diaphragm calls. Right. Um, I don't even know what they call. It. But they have a a raspy hen and um, a higher pitch soft call, and you know it, Frank has never really shown me how to use those calls. It's a double D. He just, uh, yeah, I let you say that. <laughs> um, he. Uh, he never really showed me how to use those. He just said, well, you just got to try it out. And so anytime I use one of those, um, you know, double reads without the cut, it sounds like a big dog on a short leash. <laughs> it's just like, you know, an unhappy canine. It just, yipe, 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 yipe. It's not, uh, it's not good. The, the, the raspier ones, I mean, I can make them all sound good. And I've been driving around in my, my car all day. Um, with different turkey calls trying to get ready because um, we're going to kill some turkeys with our bows on video this year that's right. that's going to happen and uh so we'll uh we'll definitely put Send these to these, use uh, dead ringers <laughs> right through one um and then there's this hs strut diaphragm call clip so it's like a hat clip for your diaphragm call there's and it, two of them yeah there's two and it shows it with What's... uh Let's bust one out. It it shows it with the the call on the top, and so these calls are neon orange. So 
I'm like, well, if you've got a neon call on your camouflage hat and you're sitting there for turkeys, I don't think that that's going to fare very well, but maybe. But it's pretty cool. Pretty cool thing. So those uh, turkey calls are 11 bucks for the pack, and the uh, call clip is 5 bucks. And then there's... How's that look? It looks, looks like good on a it, looks like, it looks like neon. Can't even see it. And there's a kisser button in here from Pine Ridge Archery. That's four bucks. And uh, then there is a rugged meat s- snack stick, two dollars. And I opened this box. I did the. Uh, Are we going to share this right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, heck yeah! I was going to eat it last night, and then I, I was like, well, I got to bring it for the for the podcast so Jack can see. It. And that's the wild boar flavor, right? Yeah. So I think, I mean, for 40 bucks, like we were just talking about, okay, so how much do broadheads cost and you can't try them all out. So here we spent 40 bucks. We got a couple of calls. We got a, a beef stick and uh wild boar, some, uh, yeah, wild boar and some, uh, hat clips for the, for the calls. So I'm happy with it. I'm everybody. I think right now is all geeked up about turkey season because it's the only thing you got unless you're planning or planning a ridiculous uh elk hunt that you've never done before <laughs> you got this giant uh undertaking but so there are a few of these boxes left um so you can go on uh bow hunter box club use uh chronicles and you can actually get the march box um, so you could get this box for 36 bucks plus shipping if you wanted. So if you want to try out these broadheads, you could you could go on there right now. Um use the code Chronicles save save ten bucks or save ten percent, I'm sorry. And uh get the same box for cheaper than it we paid for it. Um that would help out the show as well. But um they are also giving away a triax this month through the uh VIP pass through club. So that is basically ten bucks a month it's a one, you know, it's a hundred nineteen dollars. So basically, ten dollars a month for uh, twelve raffles a year. Last month they gave away a Kansas turkey hunt. Um, they've given away multiple bows. They gave away a Camp Chef. Um, gave away. Damn, uh, I wish I would have won that. <laughs> gave away a bunch of different stuff, but it's a, it's a pretty good uh, program. There's a bunch of uh, coupon codes for. Um, the ones I can think of offhand are there's a one-time use 35% off of Vortex. So John was asking me yesterday about spotting scopes. So you could you could certainly save $100 just from that Vortex. And then there's uh, uh, codes for phone scope and some of the other uh, some other companies on there. You can check it out. But we're also doing a three-month subscription giveaway. So. Um, I will have that up on our Facebook page. So if you go to our Facebook page, um, which is Bowhunter Chronicles Podcast, um, basically you're just going to have to go on there, like our page, tag three friends, and uh, like the post, and you'll be entered to win. And then you'll get actually an extra entry if you give us a rating on iTunes So if you or, or on Stitcher or wherever you're listening. But you can go on there. Um, just rate us, uh, take a screenshot, and then send it to us on. Uh, just send us a message on Facebook, and show us, and then that'll you'll be entered in uh, for a second time um, for that. And we'll let that run until um, April. So we'll let that run until April first, and then April first we'll. Uh, well, probably that's April Fool's Day. That's probably a bad day, <laughs> so I don't want to mess anybody up. So probably April second, um, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll we'll draw that uh, winner. And then the boxes ship usually on the 10th. So you should be able to get your box for the April box. So, um, and then also, you know, again, check out Serviceide. Uh, they got some really cool stuff over there. They just got uh, partnered with Tacticam. Um, so in addition to Serviceide Apparel, they've got um, Tacticam and Lone Wolf Tree Stands. And you can use uh, code Chronicles for 10 po- uh, 10% off over there as well. Um, so that, that helps us out, but there's some really good guys over there. We met them down at ATA and hung out with them and they got a really good thing going over there. So definitely go and check them out. But, um, that's what we've got going on so far and we're keep you posted as to where we're at. So I, 
These are the Magnus bullheads. Magnus bullheads. Um, They're a good head, just not for a seventy-two not, pound full-length arrow. Yeah, well, long draw. I shoot, you know, thirty-one inch, thirty-one and a half. Right. So it was just a little bit too much for it. All right. So. All right. I think we're, I think we're all set. Thanks for listening. See ya.